0: all of these excuses all of the time. And, um, and so what I've discovered is that God doesn't really want us to make excuses for the things that we do. He wants us to just be open to his forgiveness. Amen? I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news lately, um, but there's been a lot of horrible things going on, right? Um, and so I just stopped watching the news. <laughs> Um, Because I didn't want to get any more bad news, because bad news isn't just happening out there, but it oftentimes happens even just close to our lives and in our families. And so there's just sin and evil and just bad stuff happening. And so I have a sense that if you're anything like me, um, you're ready for a good word this morning. Amen? Looking for some good news. So this morning's sermon, oh no was supposed to be, Yes, Lord, You Have Saved. That was the initial title when, I, when we came up with this, you know, 15 or 14 weeks ago. Um, but as I was doing my research, I realized that the perfect title for this morning's sermon is God's Big Butt. It's not a typo, all right? I know some of you are like, Gosh, Pastor, we're in church, and I'm supposed to make jokes like that. But this is no joke, because God's Big Butt changes everything. What we've discovered over the last 12 or 13 weeks is that each and every one of us is a sinner. We sin every single day, and it feels good. If it didn't feel good, then we wouldn't sin, right? If we didn't keep feeling some sort of satisfaction when we sinned, then we wouldn't keep doing the things that we do. But sin is a natural part of our daily life. Sin, some of you may have even sinned on your way to church this morning. Some of you are sinning right now, maybe some of the things you're thinking. Sin is so ingrained in us that there seems to be very little that we can do about getting past some of these sins. This past week, my, I had the opportunity with my 15 year old son um, to go to what's called an urban arts festival on the campus of UCI. And, um, Uh, there was a lot of music, and one of the performers, when he came up, he said said something like this. He says, I love God, but I'm still going to sin, to which, this wasn't a Christian thing, by the way. (laughs) He says, I love God, but I'm still going to sin, to which the crowd then like kind of lets out a shout, and I'm in this room like, I don't think that was a good thing, (laughs) but the truth is, is that discovered over the past 12 weeks is that it's normal for all of us to feel these things, but we all know that these are the things in our lives that are destructive and can ultimately lead us to living this kind of life where even though we are living, we're simply just existing. It's like this slow death where we might be moving around and having our jobs and having school and friends, but it's not really feeling like we are alive. We began this series with a text that says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we all know that that's one of those impossible texts in the Bible. And uh, it's, it's one of those passages where we take it and we put it in that shelf of things that sound impossible. So God must not really mean it. And we kind of put it in that shelf and just leave it there. Because who can be perfect? And so we've been wrestling with that. And the idea is that nobody can be perfect only one is perfect, and he that is perfect is within each one of us. And his name is Jesus. So I want to begin with Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. We were called for what? Freedom. It's ingrained in the deepest parts of who we are. You and I were called to freedom. Now, let me give you some backdrop so this makes some sense, okay? In the first century, when Paul is going around and planting and starting all of these churches, right, it was people who were mostly who were Jewish, who were waiting for the Messiah, and then they saw Jesus and accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and so then they started creating these smaller communities, these, these Christian churches that look nothing like they do today, but they would meet in houses. Some of them would even be hidden um, from, from the government because they, they weren't free to meet as Christians, right? So government was against them, and the other churches were against them because they, they were saying that this man, Jesus, was God. So they were hiding for the most part. So what ends up happening is within these churches, there was some leaders within it who were telling all of these people who actually were not Jewish now, but they were all sorts of other people, um, Gentiles, I guess you could call them, there was some Christian leaders that were telling the men that they had to be circumcised. Now, when you're, what, three or four days old, children don't remember that. But as a grown adult, that can be excruciatingly painful, I think. And so there were these people, these teachers, these religious leaders who were telling all of these men who were converting or becoming Christian um, that they needed to be circumcised. And so Paul, right, Paul who's starting these churches, hears about this, and so he's going to all these different cities, right, and he says to them, look, if you're going to circumcise yourself, then you better follow every single aspect of the Old Testament law. He's also, if you're going to do this, you might as well do everything, because that's like the biggest one. Like, that's the one that's going to be really like in your face and tangible and real, and, and by the way, it's going to hurt. But what was really happening is that there was these new leaders, or rather these leaders in these new churches um, who were telling these people that they had to go back to living a certain kind of way, where every single law mattered. And Paul says, listen, if you're just trying to earn God's grace by following all these commandments and all these laws, then the death of Christ is useless. If you're trying to be perfect and earn somehow God's grace and mercy, then what Jesus does on the cross is ineffective. And Paul, in his holy indignation, verse 12 says this, I wish that those who unsettle you, so these people who are teaching you that you have to earn God's grace, that you have to be good enough, that you somehow have to reach some level of goodness before God then says, okay, you are my son or daughter in who I am all pleased. Now I will be gracious to you. So he says to those people, Paul says, I wish that they would castrate themselves. For Paul, he wasn't messing around when it came to grace and salvation. There were people who were telling all of these new believers that they had to do all of these things to earn God's grace. And Paul comes and says, No, you've earned it because Jesus has given it to you. It's a gift. And anybody who tells you otherwise, they should go castrate themselves. And you thought the Bible was boring. It's like a soap opera. But Paul says this, You were called to freedom. You were called to live in a certain kind of way where there is nothing and no one that will take away this freedom. Now, what's interesting about this is for a lot of these people, the Roman Empire had conquered everything and they were the occupying force in the, in the region. So for a lot of people, they didn't have the kind of freedom that they probably desired. And yet Paul says you were called to freedom because the kind of freedom that Jesus gives isn't given by a government or by a group of people. But the freedom that Jesus gives is that it doesn't matter what country you live in, what political party you're a part of, what, what class of society you are, none of that matters because we are all free before God. Freedom is built into the pop culture even of our day. How many of you, and this is a little bit old, how many of you ever saw the movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson? That's old, I know, I'm dating myself. But in the very last scene, in the minutes before the movie is over, right? So Mel Gibson is there. He's about to be executed because he's leading this revolt. He wants freedom. All these people. And so they say, this man would like to say a final word. And so he's struggling, right? And with the last little bit of energy he has left, what is the word that he yells out? (laughs) We're in church, so we can't do it that loud. (laughs) Yeah, he yells with all of his might, freedom. Because as human beings, we don't want to be restricted by anything or anyone. Because we were created to be free people. And the only person that can give you this freedom is Christ. So it doesn't matter all the bad stuff that's going on in this world. It doesn't matter all of the oppressive powers all around us. It doesn't matter because they don't have the power to take away the freedom that Jesus gives us. I mean, even in in songs, the one song that is popular, and it's been popular for many, many years, is Bob Marley's song, Redemption Song. And that song is about how it doesn't matter who, what, or whoever controls and has power, they don't have the right to give us freedom, because freedom comes, as he says, from the hand of the Almighty. You were called to freedom. Freedom. Paul would also go on to say that all things are lawful. What's that? All things are what? I don't know some of you probably don't like that text, right? We're Seventh day Adventists. We don't like that text. The joke. He says, All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So you see, for Paul, he says, Fine, do whatever sorry. Paul says, do whatever you want. Fine, do. what. Everything's lawful. Fine, right? Everything's done the way Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus at the cross has ended all of the consequence of sin. Now, this makes a lot of us uncomfortable, right? I know it does. I've talked to some of you. We don't like this kind of passage. But the truth is, Paul says, everything is lawful. Fine, do whatever you want. But understand this, that there are some roads that you will go down and some decisions you will make in your freedom that will actually lead you back to slavery. So Paul says, yeah, you're free. Jesus has made you free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. You were called to freedom. But then he says, but don't use that as an opportunity to lead to self-indulgence, because Paul understands, and the Bible writers understand, that if all you're seeking is your self-indulgence, that is a different kind of prison. Because if you're just trying to get what you want, you will never have enough. The reason that Christianity, I guess in some ways, is difficult is because it teaches us something different than the world around us. The world around us says, here, take, take what you want. Buy it, buy it on credit. All of this you want. We're consumers. Here, this will make your life better. And the funny thing is, in Christianity, what the Bible teaches us and what Jesus teaches us is that when you give away more, the happier you will be. It's kind of this paradox. The more you give away, the more abundant your life will be. And so Paul says, you were called to freedom, but do not use that freedom for self-indulgence. And he would go on to say, but use it to serve one another. For Paul, he's saying, what are you giving your life to? Now, there's another second passage that I want us to get through in Romans chapter 7. All right, so it's seven verses. I'm going to try to go kind of quickly. Um, if you have questions, we can talk about it afterwards. But this is important for us to understand um, what our belief about the gospel is and what Jesus actually did for us. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 says this, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh, in my body. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For how many of us is this true? Yeah. How many of you have ever done something that you knew you shouldn't do? How many of you have ever done something that you, you know you really shouldn't want to do, but you do want to do it? How many of you have ever said something in anger that you later have to apologize for, but you can't take that back? You see, what Paul is describing is that we as people in our minds, we, and as Christians, we, we almost always want to do what's right. Right? Amen? I want to do what's right all the time. The problem is that I get in the way of that. And so what Paul is saying, he says, is I can will or I can want to do what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. So he's basically saying I am powerless to do all of the right things all of the time. In fact, there are days when I decide that I'm going to do all of the right things, and I still end up stumbling somewhere along the way. Is this true for you? Because it's true only for Bob. He's the, only, he's the only one that raises his hand, is what I mean, not Bob's the only, yeah. We'll, we'll edit this out of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but this is all of us. Paul, the guy who, who gets to write most or more than half of the New Testament, the guy who goes and starts churches all over the Near East, this guy who is like an all-star, he is such an all-star that he started writing all of his letters that are in the Bible before the Gospels were even written. I mean, this is the guy where God uses this one man to go and plant all of these churches, and then for the other 11 disciples, most of them just stayed in Jerusalem. The men who walked with Jesus end up staying in one place, and then this man, Paul, this all-star, this Bible hero, goes and begins this entire movement. And yet, even that guy says, I don't always do what I know is right. And he goes on now. If I do, and this kind of complicated, so I'm going to go slow. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So what he's basically saying is, my mind, my willpower isn't always strong enough to battle this thing within me, this sin that we're all born, and we're born into a sinful world. And so he's saying, there is that thing within me that always yearns for something else. So verse 21, so I find it to be a law That when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law. So I see within myself another law, another way at war with what my mind wants, the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. It's kind of wordy, right? He's basically saying this, I want and I desire to do The right thing all of the time. But inside me, there is this thing that I can't fully control. And sometimes that thing takes over and it forces me to do the things I don't want to do. Now, he's not blaming someone else. What he's basically saying is having this conversation that within him, there is a desire to do good and there's also this desire to simply please himself. And sometimes the desire and the craving to do what he wants wins over the desire to do the will of God. Sounds depressing, doesn't it? Because it seems like we are in this pit or in this bog where no matter how hard we try, we are almost always going to end up sinning. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that then with my mind I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin saying the same thing. He says, I, am, I cannot do anything to save myself. The only one who can save me is Jesus, and he has done it. And so, he, he, so he, he names and acknowledges that there will be a tension in your life where you will always struggle to do what is right because so many times inside of us there is that thing that wants to do just what we want. There is this battle. It's like in the movies where we see the good angel and the bad angel on our shoulders, except that it's just within ourselves. And Paul is acknowledging that this tension exists and it exists in us today. And there is a danger that we will focus only on sin and by trying to eradicate it in our lives, but when we do that, we leave very little room for a relationship. How many of you want to be in a relationship where the other person always tells you what to do. I don't. No, none of us like that. None of us want to be in a relationship where we're always told what to do. That's why we have parents, you know? (laughs) They get to tell us what to do because they're our parents. But in everyday real-life relationships, we don't like to be told what to do because there is this need and this desire for freedom, and we don't want to be told by this thing within us to only do bad. We want to be told to do good. And so we go on to this next passage, okay? So this is this is like bad news, right? Like oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? And so we're going to go in a few more verses. We have a few more minutes, so we're just just bear with me. I can move it over. Is there, is there no more slides? Oh, there it is. Can you go back one? I think my controls. Doug, can you just press backspace to the slide before? Oh, is that it? Oh, no, back. Sorry. Okay. For whatever reason, I don't have the slide that's supposed to go up. But Romans 8 verse 1 says this. So remember, bad news, wretched man that I am, horrible, we're sinners. There's this thing within us that's always going to sabotage us. And then Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you are a wretched, horrible man or woman. But the truth is, and the answer is, of who will save us from this, is that Jesus does. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And for you to be in Christ Jesus is just simply to very accept the truth that Jesus has died and resurrected for you. That's what it means to be in Jesus. So when Paul says all things are lawful, what he's saying is that thing you're going to do tomorrow, Jesus already forgave you for that. We don't like that message, do we? We like it when it's for ourselves, but we don't like it when it's for someone else. But Jesus, according to the Bible, has already forgiven you for what you will do tomorrow. I'm just going to read a few more verses just so you kind of get the full picture of this. For the law, or the way of the spirit of life, is Christ Jesus has set you free from the way of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What did God do? What, What could not do? God did but the law was powerless to do. Old Testament, everybody followed the law because they had to gain a sense of righteousness. They had to do all of these things in order to be forgiven. And what Paul says is, that was great, but that was simply pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus, the ultimate perfect sacrifice. And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus had to come because the law, us, you, doing good enough, would never be enough to give you salvation Is that good news? That kind of lets you off the hook a little bit, doesn't it? Guess what? You don't have to be perfect. Amen. Yeah, let's cheer for that. According to the Bible, God doesn't need you to be perfect or sinless because Jesus has taken care of the sin problem. So we go on. He sends his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and humanity to deal with sin, and he condemns sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who the death of Jesus on the cross makes you righteous how many of you are living as though you are saved don't you don't have to raise your hand do you at the end of the day, look back and think to yourself, all of the failures and all of the sins you have committed, or do you look back and say, Well, wow, I'm just thankful God was there with me, and I hope that tomorrow I can bring more honor and more glory to God. Amen. See, if you're still getting caught up on your sins and beating yourself up because you're not perfect, you've missed the entire point of the gospel. Amen. Jesus doesn't need you to be perfect. Jesus does that for you. In the eyes of God, you're already perfect. How many of you have children? (laughs) How many of your children are perfect? (laughs) Bad analogy. No, our kids do stuff that make us mad. I've shared some of the things that my kids have done, like break my coffee maker that I still don't have. But there is nothing they could do to ever make us stop loving them. They make us mad. They make us angry. But they are still perfect to us. And it's the same way that God sees you. My, my challenge, my call to you this morning is that you would actually live as though you are saved. Paul says, do not, do not, in in all your freedom, don't go towards self-indulgence, but rather give yourselves to one another to serve. How many of you have ever wanted to know what God's will is for your life? It's in the Bible. It says that you would give yourselves to others and serve them. It doesn't say be without sin. It doesn't say stop all those sins. No, he says, look, I took care of that. Now can you please get to work in what I'm actually trying to accomplish? Jesus met the needs of the people that were around him, and he's asking for us to do the same. Let me just finish reading this passage, and then we'll wrap up. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, what's important to you? Is it just about getting your way, fulfilling these desires and these cravings within you for love, attention, affection, whatever it is, Or is your mind set on how will I bring honor and glory to God? I hope that in the time that I'm here, for as long as you guys will have me, that I will burn into your minds that what is truly important and the essence of what Jesus is calling us to do is for us to bring glory, honor, and that we would witness to Christ. The Bible says that Jesus will draw all people to himself when he is lifted up. Not when we are lifted up, but when he is lifted up. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. How many of you want to live a drama free life? Anxiety free life? What other. Yeah, how many of you want peace? How many of you need peace now? Paul says, look, if if you're just focused on yourself, it's death. It's death because you have no life to give yourself. But if you focus on the Spirit, you will find life and you will find peace. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit since the Spirit of God dwells where? In heaven somewhere past beyond the Milky Way or whatever galaxies are out there? Now, you don't have to agree with me, but you, I mean, go ahead and argue with the Bible, but that's a bigger argument. <laughs> it says that the Spirit of God dwells where? Within you. And if the Spirit of God dwells within you, are you really a wretched, pitiable person? Does God step out of your life sometimes and say, okay, fine, forget you, you're on your own? Not according to this passage. According to this passage, God dwells within you. And my job here is to try to point you to the fact that that is true every single day, even when you sin. Because when we sin, God still dwells within us, but we just kind of like put him off to the side a little bit. We do that. But God doesn't leave us and God doesn't forsake us. There's two more verses here. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells within you. Amen. Can I read this one more time and then I'm going to sit down? I want you just to kind of... what, what What this is saying is extremely powerful and transforming. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. So if the spirit of the guy who can do the impossible, okay, healing is difficult, but it can be done. But to give life to the dead, that's impossible. That's why so many people have a problem with Christianity and Jesus, because no one dies and comes back to life. So if the power of the one who gives life to him who is dead, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to you through the spirit that dwells within you. The impossible can happen in your life. I have a sense that there are some of you in here who are experiencing some sort of pain, some sort of sadness, some sort of burden, some sort of dead end. And my message to you this morning is that the very God who raises the dead can raise your spirit and give you a spirit of resurrection and of the newness of life. And we can't get caught up on the sin in our lives because God has taken care of that. Jesus, has promised, Jesus promises the abundant life. And so my call to you this morning is that you would allow God to fulfill that in you and that you would not shut the voice of God out in your life, but that you would allow it to guide your path and be a light. Amen.